0: Thursday the 26th of August 2021 and you're listening to episode 31 of Reds Unrestricted. Today we're looking at Jadon Shaqiri's departure, R.V. Elliott's brilliant debut against Burnley and a massive game against title rivals Chelsea on Saturday evening.
1: This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts.
0: So I am joined today by Dan Club as ever, and Jack Gill from Anfield Agenda. Fellas, we're going to get straight into a game of who am I. So here's the first clue. I'm 31 years old. All right, so just obviously chime in when when you know it. Or if. Yeah. I spent four years on Liverpool's books. No, on Liverpool's books there. Mm Mm-hmm. Important phrase. I joined the club when Rafa Benitez was the manager. Okay. I'm a defender. Uh, okay. My clubs also include Sporting Lisbon and
2: Atletico Madrid. Cool oh, GM. <laughs> I was going to say below, but he never played for them. Not a bad guess, um... but not quite. Sporting... Are they the only two other clubs? No, they...
0: He of, they definitely the other clubs he's played for, but I thought I can throw in another
2: one, which is Gars Played for them more recently.
1: You've absolutely stumped me. That's
2: yeah. Same. Um, he must have been young when he signed for Oz. Yeah, Benita signed him, and he's only thirty-one now. I'll, oh, that's five even not more. Not Aurelio, Fabio Aurelio. It is. It is a left back, but it's not Aurelio. Insua,
0: Emiliano Insua.
1: Oh. Emiliano, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. God, he must <laughs> have been
0: young, was not he? Yeah, I can't believe he's only 31 now. It's uh
2: No, that's mad. mad. That's really... the fact that I would never put a 31-year-old with a Benitez here. But that's what threw me. Oh yeah. That's mad. That's mad life. I, yeah, I'm, I'm kicking
1: myself time. over that.
0: <laughs> and I feel like interior is a, is almost a perfect who am I Liverpool yeah. edition uh answer, but yeah. but yeah, I, I, now that we've got that out of the way, we'll uh move into the Sort of recap of the main story of the week, I suppose, uh, from a Liverpool' point of view, and that's Zerdan Shaqiri leaving the club three years after joining. Uh, he's gone, obviously, gone to Leon. Fee is reportedly about nine point five million. So, I guess the place to start on this, and we'll go to Jack first. Do you think nine point five? Think that's good money?
1: Um, it, it's better than what they originally offered, isn't it? Um, you know, in terms of Jordan Shaqiri, um, he came to the club to, to do the role that he did. Um, you know, there were, were some frustrating moments at times where we would have liked to rely on him more um, when we had a couple of injuries here or there. But he, he spent a lot of his time, obviously, uh, injured, didn't he? But he's also given us some, some great moments, obviously, um, orchestrating the sacking of, of Jose Mourinho. Um, that cross against Barcelona, um, Everton, of course, too, uh, and a brilliant uh, goal in, in pre-season against United as well. Um, and, you know, you know, I think, obviously, with, with Jordan Shaqiri, he came to the club to, to, to help Liverpool win the title and, and he came away as a Champions League winner, as a Premier League winner, as a Super Cup winner. And as, you know, a Club World Cup winner and, and you can't thank him for enough really for, for for what he's done because when we signed him from Stoke, he, he didn't come in to, to play week in, week out. He came as, as a player to improve the squad and that's certainly what, what Jordan Shaqiri did And and, you know, he's one of them players that I wish him all the best now he's moved on.
0: Absolutely. I think you're right about the frustration there in terms of he was always going to be a squad player but without the injuries, he would have, been probably significantly more involved than he was and you're right about the fee as well I think that's kind of the the key bit of context here is that Leon actually started much lower and there was a significant gap between the valuations um, that were on the table at first but Liverpool have managed to sort of drive it upwards to what is kind of an acceptable fee I'd say probably a bit on the cheap side for a player of his quality but you know it's, it's not a seller's mark this summer at all, is it? So, as I say, acceptable without necessarily being ideal. Dan, I'll come to you now. Kind of reflect your reflections on Shakiri's career. I've got some, some stats here. He only actually started 21 matches in the Premier League and Champions League. Obviously, he would have played a few more in the cup. But from those games, he did manage to contribute 14 goals and assists, which, you know, that is a pretty decent record.
2: Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, and and Jack's right to point out the iconic moments that he's given us because he has done um, for a player that was very very fit. And um, he has given us some big moments um, derbies, United, Champions League semi final. You know the stage doesn't come a lot bigger. To be fair to him, and um, because he had quality, there's no getting away from that. Like we've already alluded to, his fitness issues were the biggest problem. I think last season was pretty telling because. I don't know the exact figures off the top of my head right now, but I believe he was actually relatively fit most of the time last year. He was pretty available for the majority of the season, but he still didn't really get a look in. Um, I think he might have collectively made something like 20 appearances across the board and most of them off the bench. And you think, you know, we really should be cashing in. Um, And we have done, which I'm pleased about. Um, I think there's still a couple more to cash in on, if I'm honest. But yeah, £9.5 is not far. From the 13 that we paid for him originally. And like I say, those moments he's given us, um, he'll be fondly remembered, I reckon. But for him and for, for us, it was the right time to sell. Clearly, now the conversation
0: has to move on to replacements or possibly lack thereof. The the briefing from Liverpool in the wake of um his departure seemed to be that RV Elliott was the in-house replacements, and it's interesting that. Elliott is almost being put forward as the midfield um, replacements as well, obviously following Wijnaldum's departure. And what really strikes me here is that Liverpool, I think, now have made a net profit in the transfer window. And despite the the succession of, of contract renewals, you, you do feel that the money would be there um, if another another forward was was on the agenda. So I'll come back to you, Jack. How important is it to replace Shaqiri or do you think that we'll be able to manage with the options we have in attack?
1: I think it's it's a difficult situation because I think us, well, we, we all as Liverpool fans want more game time for, for Harvey Elliott, but we all understand as well that you know it's dangerous going into the squad short on on positions where last season we were quite strong and and the thing is last season we we saw firsthand and we know firsthand how you can go into a season feeling relatively confident, um, but if you haven't replaced a player, you can be left short and and we saw that obviously, Dan Lover and we didn't replace him uh, and we were left short at centre back and we had loads of injury problems. And though that was very bad luck and you don't see that too often, we're putting ourselves in a position where, where that could happen again. And it's, you know, it's it's a lot of weight uh, and baggage to put on the shoulders of, of an 18-year-old in Harvey Elliott. It doesn't matter how good this young lad is. It, it, it's so much weight to put on his shoulders to, to cover Genie Wijnaldum, who, of course, was instrumental in the Jurgen Clock, played so much uh, game time for him. Um, and, of course, you know, Shaqiri didn't get as much game time. Um, and didn't have the role, obviously, that wine Wijnaldum had. Um, but, you know, he was still uh, an important member of the squad in terms of he gave us important moments, which, which helped lead to, to the football club winning trophies. Um, and, you know, like you say, I, I spoke to James Pearce with, with Craig on Anfield Agenda last week, and, and we got the same um, conversation before Shakiri even left that, you know, unless Shakiri and Origi go, Liverpool will not be bringing anyone in for the rest of the window. And um, it, it, it's quite frustrating to, to watch on the outside because, you know, for, for me, I'm, I'm quite a positive person. I feel as though this 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 squad that we've got is very, very strong and can still compete with the likes of Chelsea and Manchester City, who are spending a lot of money. Um, and Manchester United too, of course, but, you know, I, I do worry that we're, we're, we may fall behind in years to come if, if, if we don't make signings this window because, um, yeah, the, the, the clubs around us are, are, are strengthening significantly.
0: And the point you make about Origi, obviously, kind of ties in with what, with what Dan mentioned earlier about hoping for maybe more outgoings and that could be what triggers it. You, you don't get the sense that we're kind of done with, with sales there's probably another one or two left left. there, Dan, I'll get your view on replacements and and kind of the level of depth, because you know, if someone had said to you at the start of the summer that Liverpool wouldn't make any attacking additions and that Sha'Carri would go, would you sort of be thinking to yourself, well, hang on, that actually puts us in a a weaker position that we you know, than we were when we actually entered the window?
2: Uh, If I'm dead honest, and this isn't like, you know, Hindsight's a wonderful thing and all that. I wouldn't because I don't mind the Elliot for Shaqiri replacement. I've got no issue with that. My main bugbear is that we look like we might be heading into a full season with Dibok as our main sort of out-and-out striker replacement, if you like. Um, if you could even call in that. Because he doesn't do what Firmino does in terms of dropping deep and linking up play. And he doesn't necessarily score the goals of a number nine either. So that would be my main concern. I think I'm more than happy for Elliot to take Shakiri's minutes and more, given his hopeful level of fitness compared to Shakiri's. It's the Origi out, someone in thing that needs to happen for me in these final six days. Um, And the midfielder, having said that, I think everything Jack said right in terms of midfield, I think we are leaving ourselves open to an injury. I don't want to use the word crisis because we've seen enough of them last year, but injury issues at some point during the season because... I've said before, you know, during the height of the season when it's Champions League time and it's domestic cup time and the Premier League's thick and fast, you know, would I be surprised to see that we didn't have Milner, Oxley, chamberlain Cater, and even like to Henderson available for one game? I wouldn't. And then all of a sudden we've gone from having this decent looking midfield depth to we've got to play Fabinho, Tiago, and Curtis-Jones, for instance, which is fine. But... We need options, and I think signing an extra one to replace Alban, who was always available, is still very important. Whether it happens or not, I don't know, but I think that's really important. But like I say, in terms of attackers, for me, I just want Origi gone and someone in to replace him.
0: The difficulty there, and obviously you're aware of this, is you know getting a, a price tag that we would deem fair. I think we seem to be overvaluing Origi based on um the kind of reports that have been have been coming out over the course of the summer. And Shikari was sort of missing for Liverpool's final few um season matches, wasn't he? Um the last kind of two or three. Um which kind of points to how long these negotiations and you know the efforts to to offload them have been going on. And I think that would potentially be even more difficult with a who hasn't really contributed anything of note since the 18 19 season and I suppose the last thing to say on attackers is, is AFCON would have been a big concern at the start of the summer but obviously we know now that that will only be two Premier League matches so whether that's fractioned into Liverpool's thinking, thinking um, I'm not sure but let's talk about Harvey Elias in a bit more depth obviously he's had a couple of mentions already but as sort of a reflection on the the Burnley game last weekend clearly he was one of the one of the standout players, probably a man of the match contender. So, I'll come to you, Jack. How just excited are, are you now, off the back of of that performance? And do you think it's important that we don't get maybe carried away? Because obviously, it was just his full debut.
1: Yeah, I've been on the Harvey Harvey Elliott hype train for for a good couple of years now, and. I was shocked um, to to see him go on loan last season to to Blackburn. Um, But, you know, it's turned out to be a a terrific move for him. I thought he was outstanding in the championship last season. Um, And, you know, there was a big question mark over what would happen to Harvey Elliott going into this year. And he had a magnificent pre-season in a a new role for him, Um, showed that he's capable of, of doing numerous different things. Obviously, we've heard... Um, murmurs from the club that he was given a month off but he only took two weeks and after that he was training hard he's trained really well all summer Um, and I'm absolutely delighted for him that that he's getting more game time and you know it looks like there's a lot of trust in him from the club and and you can see why he plays a player he plays like a player much above his age Um, he's 18 years old but it's not just his ability, it's it's his footballing brain. You know, um, you saw his pass for for, for the goal that Mohamed Salah scored that was obviously disallowed. Um, for, for an 18-year-old to produce a pass like that is just top draw, top class and, and, and gives you, you know, great signs that he's going to be a, an outstanding player in the future. And, you know, for me, I think we're very, very lucky to have Harvey Elliott, but I really hope that that we manage well what we manage his game time really well kind of in the way that you know Manchester City and Pep Guardiola have done with with Phil Foden and that's where I worry that maybe we're we're putting too much on his shoulders we saw some of their heavy challenges the sort of welcome to the Premier League challenges that, that Burnley were producing and they're not the only uh, team that, that will try and do that to Harvey Elliott but he showed at the weekend that not only does he have the ability he's going to be a tough nut to crack as well because you know it was rare that after one of those challenges, he stayed down on the ground rolling around was he he, he got fouled time and time again, but he was up straight away, and you know it, there, there was lots of positive uh, things to see from Harvey Elliott at the, uh, the weekend. I thought it was a very, very good performance from him.
0: Absolutely. And you, you know what stood out for me was on match of the day on Saturday, one of the last clips from kind of interview they the interviewer asked him about, about Elliot and. His instant reaction is just a huge beam and grin on his face, and to me, that that's the smile of a man who's just really, really excited to be able to work work with and coach a, you know a young talent of that level. Then I'll come to you now on Elias. One thing we should keep in mind is that he probably wouldn't have started the game had Milner, Ox, Fabinho not not all been out for various reasons. Obviously, it was a case of that opened up the opportunity and he very much took it, but how much do you see him? Obviously, it's still very early days; hard to say, but how much do you see him playing this season, particularly in the, in the Premier League and Champions
2: League? Yeah, not, not a great deal. I think I was quite surprised to see him start last weekend. Um, as brilliant as he was, I thought it was a really, just to double down on what we said, I thought it was a brilliant performance. Um, really mature, did a lot of off-the-ball work that I didn't really expect. To see from him, we've all seen this skillful, technically gifted player, but some of his defensive contributions and the work he was doing in pressing, I was really, really pleased with. And it's it's something that Curtis Jones started to bring into his game as sort of last season wore on. But for Harvey Elliott to do that on Premier League debut, I thought just shows the sign of the player we've got. But in terms of what he's going to play moving forward, I do expect to see him. Um. Sort of drip fed into the side, if you like. I think it was nice to see him thrown in the deep end at the same time last week, but I don't see that being the uh, the long term plan. I think um, substitute appearances here and there, um, probably prominent roles in cup games um, as well as Champions League appearances, um, particularly in the group stage against. Obviously, we don't know who we've got yet. That'll be Thursday, Thursday evening. But if we get You know, I was in Midgetland last year and a couple of easier-looking teams, maybe. He might feature in those games, certainly, if we get the group hopefully wrapped up nice and quickly. He'll play in them games for me. Um, And that's fine for probably this season, if not the first few months of it, certainly. And then even as the season wears on, we might see more and more of him. And judging by last weekend, we're all going to be very impressed if we do. That's a good
0: point about the Champions League because, you know, getting that, getting that kind of draw can open up opportunities. And I also think, um, on, on kind of an unrelated note, for the player, like I say, that's going to be quite important as well because you don't want to be you know, disrupting your centre-back partnership too much during the season. But I reckon the, the European games will be looked at as quite a good opportunity for him to to bed in, in, in competitive matches. But yeah, that really wraps up our, our look at the weekend and the Burnley game. So let's move on to Chelsea. Obviously, absolutely massive game on Saturday. We'll start as usual um, by looking at preferred lineups. Um, It'd be good to, obviously, discuss this game in a bit more depth than we maybe would tend to for a a preview because of its magnitude. So let's get started with these lineups then. Dan, uh, you can go first
2: yeah so um, for me, I see this as an opportunity and the ideal time to name what I perceive as our ultimate strongest eleven, if you like um and i only I only caveat it and say it like that because when you look at sicast's form um and the fact this midfield tree we're about to name hasn't really played together yet. You'd think that maybe this isn't the right game, but this is like you've touched upon the statement game of this season so far. Like People are kind of not really talking about Liverpool as title challenges, but if we put down a performance and a win on Saturday, that changes. Not that it matters, but all of a sudden everyone's perception changes. So for me, I'd go Alisson and Trent, Matip and Van Dyke because I think they've been outstanding so far, and to deal with Lukaku. I back those two over anyone else. Um, And then Robertson, given he's not played for a couple of weeks, but like I touched upon, he's our best left back, as good as Simakas has been. But yeah, Robertson for me. So the strongest back five. And then Fabinho back in training after the catastrophic events of last week. So he's back in training. And then Thiago and Henderson. Um, We haven't seen Thiago a lot yet this season, but for me on paper, that's our best midfield. So those three... And then a bit of a controversial call, and I'm sure you won't agree, Dave, but um, I've gone Salah, Mane um, and Bobby Firmino in the middle of them just because I still think that's our strongest front three as well. I think if we had a Champions League final tomorrow with this current squad, that would be my team. So that's why I've gone with it.
0: That's one of the two big dilemmas, really. The two selection question marks is... Thiago or Cater, I'd say, and Jota or Firmino. So I'm assuming, Jack, that beyond that, there isn't really too much variation in your, your 11 compared to Dan's.
1: No, and, and that's the point I was going to bring up, Dave, uh, you know, about um, the, the possible incomings uh, of Naby or Jota in, into that lineup that, that Dan's just said. Um, for, for me, though, I would go exactly how Dan's just lined up. Um, it's it's difficult in terms of Firmino and, and, and Jota for me. Um, the form Jota has been in in front of goal has been, you know, outstanding. And a lot of Liverpool fans will now put in heads in the pecking order over Bobby Firmino. But for me, um, you know, in a game like this where we know the the squad of Chelsea, uh, Jota can have a real impact for, from the bench. And you know, I think starting Firmino, we know what he he brings to this side and, and to the system. Um, and, you know, I think it's important against Chelsea to, to, to bring players off the bench who, who can change the game and Jota can have that effect. Um, and Nabi too. And, you know, I think for, for Nabi Cater, it, it's been an interesting start to the season for him. I think he's, he started the season really well. It's not been the typical flashy cater that you usually see. Um, but you know he's shown that he can be someone who can you know f- fill fill that genie role if he can keep himself fit and and obviously provide us something different that, that genie couldn't bring. Um, but for me, you know him starting three games in a row when we've got this long season ahead is a big ask. Um, and like like Dan referred to there, I think it's it would be good to see what on paper is is, is our strongest squad uh, and our strongest eleven. Um, and I think I think that's what we will see um, at the weekend against Chelsea.
0: Well, I've got ten out of eleven similarities, and uh, Dan's already identified what the the deviation is with mine. I think this Jota Firmino debate, which will probably last the whole season, because you know you could probably look at it as kind of a, a transitional period potentially. This isn't something that I feel you know, hugely strongly about in a way. I, I see, I very much see the merits um, of starting both players and I also see the possible drawbacks as well. So I, I'd stick with, with Jota for this one, but I do think it'll be kind of an interesting uh, litmus test in a way because, you know, obviously the magnitude of the game and if if Klopp goes with Jota here and Firmino will now be fully fit, like even though he did return to pre-season later, if he goes with Jota, I think that's him saying this is my first choice, front three. Obviously, that can change over the course of the season, but it would be significant from that point of view. Um, in midfield, again, I've gone with Thiago, but I wouldn't be against Nabi playing. I think, Jack, you're right in what you've said about his season so far. I think Klopp will be really pleased with how he's done. Interestingly, when Thiago played against Burnley, he did make a couple of mistakes, which kind of nearly cost us a clean sheet, but... I'd probably just put that down to to rustiness. Obviously, he had a a bit of a compromise pre-season, so I'm happy to to play him, and I think having him will help us establish more control, um, obviously, within that first-trace midfield, really. So, before we talk about the actual scoreline and what that might be, let's talk briefly about this battle, this hotly-anticipated battle between... Van Dijk and Lukaku. Dan, are you concerned at all that Van Dijk might find it a little bit difficult so soon after coming back from injury? Um,
2: I'm concerned more in the fact that I think Lukaku is obviously a very good striker um, who's probably in the form of his life over the past 18 months, as I said. he scored goals previously, but his all-round game is is ten times better than it's ever been. Um, since going to Italy, so yeah, I, I'm concerned in terms of him playing against us. I'm not concerned in terms of him playing against Van Dyke. I think Van Dyke has got the wherewithal and, and the now deal with him, and um, in different ways as well. You probably see in the compilation that's been going around on Twitter. I think Mastiff and Van Dyke dealing with Lukaku and occasionally getting in front of him and occasionally being physical with him and nicking the ball off him and all that, but. I think Fabinho will be of crucial importance for, for all the obvious reasons that he always is, but I think particularly on Saturday in terms of stopping the supply into him because obviously Chelsea Arsenal did the week. It was just too easy for Chelsea to get the ball into the Kaku's feet time and time again. Um, so if we can stop that happening so regularly, I mean, that'll be a big, big boost for us. But in terms of the actual battle, Van Dijk's quick enough at his best to deal with him. He's powerful enough to deal with him, um, and he. he, Let's face it, he's got enough class to deal with him. But I will also say, I think the battle-hardened Van Dijk from last Saturday against Burnley probably did him a favour because he's been out of action for X amount of months. Norwich was a bit of a cruise, so to come up against Chris Ward and Ashley Barnes, who pretty much just want to fight you, was probably the best thing for him. Interesting way of looking
0: at it, yeah, and. The thing you mentioned about Fabinho, I think is spot on. Like One recurring theme in that Arsenal game was Kovacic having the ball almost like on the edge of the centre circle and being able to just play a pass through Arsenal's midfield and into Lukaku's feet and then it goes out wide and you've got a very dangerous situation on your hands. I think Lukaku's debut was absolutely amazing, to be honest. I, I can't really recall many sort of high-profile debuts in kind of recent Premier League history that have been as impressive. Um, that's how good I thought it was. Jack, what are your kind of impressions on this? Obviously, we shouldn't discount the fact that Joel Matip's going to have a part to play as well because as a striker, say, if Lukaku doesn't get much joy out of Van Dyke in the first half an hour of the game, he might then test himself against the other centre-half as well. So how sort of apprehensive are you about facing a, a number nine of his quality?
1: If, if there's one centre-back in, in world football that can easily deal with Romelu Lukaku, it's Virgil van Dijk for me. Um, and, you know, of course, I'll caveat in, obviously, the injury and, and the lack of, you know, match fitness potentially for, for, for Virgil van Dijk. But with that being said, you know, we've seen two very strong performances from him at, at the start of the season. Um, Chris Woods and Ashley Barnes, you can't underestimate how... Difficult of an opponent they are to play against physically, um, and though I'm, I'm not I'm not saying they're anywhere near the level of, of Romelu Lukaku, um, you know Van Dyke showed that you know he, he was able to, to to compete physically with with Chris Wood um, at the weekend. So, you know, for for me, I, I'm confident. Um, I am worried, like Dan says, in in the fact that. Romelu Lukaku is, is obviously a, an outstanding uh, number nine. Uh, he's really improved his game since being in Italy. Um, his physique is so much better now. Um, and just his whole game is, is so much better. And he's, he's come back to the Premier League with a real point to prove, hasn't he? Because, you know, a lot of people forget that season when Manchester United finished second in the league and Lukaku obviously had that really, really good season. After then, it, it sort of petered out and... You know, everyone seems to remember the seasons after that rather than, you know, that season where he, he was brilliant for United. But um, he's come back to the Premier League with that point to prove. And he certainly showed that against Arsenal. I thought you, you were quite quite, uh, quite right there in, in saying, David, that um, he it was a really, really top class performance. Um, granted, he was playing against what is a poor Arsenal side at the minute, but... Nonetheless, it, it was a top quality performance from Romelu Lukaku. But, like we're saying, it's going to be a big test for, for Virgil van Dijk at, at the weekend with with you know it being his first world class striker that he's playing against since you know his his long term injury. It's it's also a big big test for for Romelu Lukaku, and I'm sure both players are going into this game knowing that they've they've got a really difficult opponent that they're facing this weekend.
0: You've almost hit on what what I was going to say next there in terms of the the narratives at play. Obviously, Van Dijk Dijk triumphs in this battle and it's almost him announcing to the world that he's back. But then equally, on the other hand, you have Lukaku going up against him. and If he was to to win out, then that's quite significant for him insofar as, remember, when he was last in England, he had a really poor record in, in the biggest games. And it was kind of a stick that I was used to beating with. So, it, yeah, it would be a huge, huge for both players um, to come out on top. And I think the whole game is going to be a pretty amazing spectacle, but one that we might struggle to enjoy because we're so sort of anxious watching it. Um, on that note, let's get some predictions in. I'll come straight back, back to you, Jack. Uh, what scoreline are you thinking for this one?
1: Um, well,. <laughs> um, obviously I'm known on Anfield agenda to, to predict every game will be 6-0 um, so you know on, on that channel all week that's what I'll be saying but um, so you guys are, I'll, I'll be a bit less confident in, in, in that score prediction um, I do think it's going to be a, an incredibly close game I think um, both Liverpool and Chelsea are two of the, the best sides in Europe at the moment Chelsea obviously showed that by winning the Champions League last last season they're so strong in the Thomas Tuchel, so hard to beat. Um, you know, but I think if, if anyone's going to make life tough for them, it, it's going to be Jurgen Klopp and, and this Liverpool side. And for me, I do think at Anfield, the 12th man is, is going to be very important. And I do have confidence that that we will just pit them at the weekend. So I, I'm going with 2-1 Liverpool.
0: Yeah, that is a fact. Obviously, the, the home advantage, I think the atmosphere is going to be Absolutely incredible. Obviously, everyone was delighted to be back in last week, but I think it'll go up a notch later kick-off time, bigger game, etc. Dan, what are you saying? Are you are you fancying a
2: 6-0? Well, I'm also positive, as you well know, Dave, a bit like Jack in that respect, but not quite 6-0 this week now. Um, I'm going to say 2-0 to Liverpool, um, and I'll tell you why, because I think Chelsea, I think it's going to be a tight game for, for the most part, but I think if we do manage to get the first goal, that means Chelsea may have to come out and play a little bit more, which I think will suit us, because they're very well disciplined under Tuchel. But I'm not sure if they come out against a side as good as we are, they can cope with that. Because I still think for as good as they are, and the fact they're obviously European champions right now, I still think defensively they've got frailties. Certainly when you look at the individuals that make up that defence, I mean, there's a good chance the likes a Christian will play, and we see what happened last year at Stamford Bridge when he had a bit of a brain fade and just dragged Sadio Mane down. Um, so yeah, I do fancy us to get their defence, um, and for that reason, I think it'll be two 0 um, and that might be wildly optimistic, but but let's have it. You see,
0: looking at those defenders, I see what you mean. It Doesn't look like the most um, inspiring defensive lineup, but I think the level that they've all improved under under Tuchel. Um. You know, yeah, they've they've agree really unlocked, that, yeah. Like unlocked, like another level in I
1: their think, game. I, th- I think as well, though, um, that that left side of the Chelsea defense is going to be interesting because obviously, first two games of the season they've gone with Marcus Alonso and mm. you know Salah sizing up against Marcus Alonso. He's going to have an absolute field day if if Salah's on the top of his game at the weekend, and you know that that can be really where we where we cause them a lot of problems and. You know, I think for for that reason, obviously, we know that every game that Liverpool play at our best level, Salah's instrumental, but... I really think he's instrumental to this fixture at the weekend and, and we've seen in the past when we've had, you know, in, in the last couple of seasons when we've had our best sort of games against Chelsea. He's been a key man in that and, and I do think it'll be more of the same at the weekend, certainly from a, an attacking front. Obviously, we know the the issue our defence is going to have with, with so much talent uh, f- from an attacking perspective at, at Chelsea and obviously we've mentioned there Romelu Lukaku. Um, but yeah, the, from an attacking point of view, I think that that right-hand side for us and, and you know the left-hand side for, for Chelsea is is going to be our our main threat.
0: When you look at the the individual battles, that probably is one that you'd be more confident about. Um, I'll just quickly throw my prediction in. I'm going to go for a one-one draw. I think that would there would be no sort of shame in that result whatsoever because Chelsea at the moment have a, a claim to be. The best team in the world on form, arguably. So yeah, I've gone, I've gone for a draw. I'm not quite confident enough to be making it a full house of wins. Just a very quick update on the predictions league that we've got going on. Um, last week I went for 2-0, so I got I got the three points this time. Dan said 3-0, so he gets one. And our guest Andy said 2-1. So that's one, one for the guest, which leaves the rankings as myself and the guest on four, Dan on two. But if um, if Dan can get a perfect, perfect score this week then it means it's going to be a very memorable Liverpool victory briefly Jack
1: I'll
0: give you the opportunity to plug um, anything you'd like our listeners to have a look at
1: uh, all my work with Craig and Anfield Agenda um, obviously previously I, I've worked on the Academy channel um, that, that used to be partner with the Redman TV but it's not anymore it's just called the Academy 21 um, so check check a lot of my old stuff out but That's not something i do anymore. Um, But yeah, I will be live this evening uh, and most evenings I'm live on on Anfield Agenda. So make sure you, you check that out.
0: And we'll drop all the relevant links in the episode description. That's all we've got time for this week though. So see you next time.